0: Letter 10. Part 2. Of A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains. By Isabella L. Bird, Part 2. Of Letter 10. Great Gorge of the Manitou. October 29th. THIS IS A HIGHLY PICTURESQUE PLACE, WITH SEVERAL SPRINGS, STILL AND vessing, THE VIRTUES OF WHICH WERE WELL KNOWN TO THE INDIANS. NEAR IT ARE PLACES, THE NAMES OF WHICH ARE FAMILIAR TO EVERYONE, THE GARDEN OF THE GODS, GLEN IRY, PIKES PEAK, MONUMENT PARK, AND THE UTE PASS. IT HAS TWO OR THREE IMMENSE HOTELS, AND A FEW HOUSES PICTURESQUELY SITUATED. IT IS THRONGED BY THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE IN THE SUMMER WHO COME TO DRINK THE WATERS, TRY THE CAMP CURE, AND MAKE MOUNTAIN EXCURSIONS. BUT IT IS ALL QUIET NOW, AND THERE ARE ONLY A FEW LINGERERS AT THIS IMMENSE HOTEL. THERE IS A RUSHING TORRENT IN A VALLEY, WITH MOUNTAINS COVERED WITH SNOW, AND RISING TO A HEIGHT OF NEARLY FIFTEEN THOUSAND FEET, OVERHANGING IT. IT IS GRAND AND AWFUL, AND HAS A STRANGE, SOLEMN BEAUTY LIKE DEATH and the snowy mountains are pierced by the torrent which has excavated the ute pass, by which to-morrow I hope to go into the higher regions. But all may be lost for want of a horseshoe nail. One of Bertie's shoes is loose, and not a nail to be got here, or can be got till I have ridden for ten miles up the pass. Bertie amuses everyone with her funny ways. She always follows me closely. AND TODAY GOT QUITE INTO A HOUSE, AND PUSHED THE PARLOR-DOOR OPEN. SHE WALKS AFTER ME WITH HER HEAD LAID ON MY SHOULDER, LICKING MY FACE AND TEASING ME FOR SUGAR. AND SOMETIMES, WHEN ANYONE ELSE TAKES HOLD OF HER, SHE REARS AND KICKS. AND THE VICIOUS BRONCO SOUL COMES INTO HER EYES. HER FACE IS CUNNING AND PRETTY, AND SHE MAKES A FUNNY, blarneying NOISE WHEN I GO UP TO HER the men at all the stables make a fuss with her and call her pet she gallops up and down hill and never stumbles even on the roughest ground or requires even a touch with a whip the weather is again perfect with a cloudless sky and a hot sun and the snow is all off the plains and lower valleys after lunch the blanks in a buggy and i on birdie left colorado springs crossing the mesa a high hill with a table-top with a view of extraordinary laminated rocks leaves of rock a bright vermilion colour against a background of snowy mountains surmounted by pike's peak then we plunged into cavernous glen eyrie with its fantastic needles of coloured rock and were entertained at general palmer's baronial mansion a perfect eyrie The fine hall filled with buffalo, elk, and deer-heads, skins of wild animals, stuffed birds, bear-robes, and numerous Indian and other weapons and trophies. Then, through a gate of huge red rocks, we passed into the valley, called fantastically Garden of the Gods, in which, were I a divinity, I certainly would not choose to dwell. Many places in this neighborhood are also vulgarized by grotesque names. From this we passed into a ravine, down which the Fountain River rushed, and there I left my friends with regret, and rode into this chill and solemn gorge, from which the mountains, reddening in the sunset, are only seen afar off. I put Bertie up at a stable, and as there was no place to put myself up but this huge hotel, I CAME HERE TO HAVE A LAST TASTE OF LUXURY. THEY CHARGE SIX DOLLARS A DAY IN THE SEASON, BUT IT IS NOW HALF PRICE, AND INSTEAD OF FOUR HUNDRED FASHIONABLE GUESTS THERE ARE ONLY FIFTEEN, MOST OF WHOM ARE SPEAKING IN THE WEAK, RAPID ACCENTS OF CONSUMPTION, AND ARE coughing THEIR HEARTS OUT. THERE ARE SEVEN MEDICINAL SPRINGS. IT IS STRANGE TO HAVE THE LUXURIES OF LIFE IN MY ROOM. It will be only the fourth night in Colorado that I have slept on anything better than hay or straw. I am glad that there are so few inns. As it is, I get a good deal of insight into the homes and modes of living of the settlers. Bergen's Park, October 31st. This cabin was so dark and I so sleepy last night that I could not write, but the frost during the night has been very severe. AND I AM DETAINED UNTIL THE BRIGHT, HOT SUN MELTS THE ICE, AND RENDERS TRAVELING SAFE. I LEFT THE GREAT Manitou AT TEN YESTERDAY. BERTIE, WHO WAS LOOSE IN THE STABLE, CAME TROTTING DOWN THE MIDDLE OF IT, WHEN SHE SAW ME, FOR HER SUGAR AND BISCUITS. NO NAILS COULD BE GOT, AND HER SHOE WAS HANGING BY TWO, WHICH DOOMED ME TO A FOOT'S PACE AND A DISMAL CLINK OF A LOOSE SHOE FOR THREE HOURS there was not a cloud on the bright blue sky the whole day and though it froze hard in the shade it was summer heat in the sun the mineral fountains were sparkling in their basins and sending up their full perennial jets but the snow-clad pine skirted mountains frowned and darkened over the ute pass as i entered it to ascend it for twenty miles A narrow pass, it is, with barely room for the torrent and the wagon-road, which has been blasted out of its steep sides. All the time I was in sight of the Fountain River, brighter than any stream, because it tumbles over rose-red granite, rocky or disintegrated, a truly fair stream, cutting and forcing its way through hard rocks, under arches of alabaster ice, through fringes of crystalline ice— thumping with a hollow sound in cavernous recesses, cold and dark, or leaping in foam from heights with rush and swish, always bright and riotous, never pausing in still pools to rest, dashing through gates of rock, pine-hung, pine-bridged, pine-buried, twinkling and laughing in the sunshine, or frowning in dowy dens in the blue-pine gloom, AND THERE FOR A MILE OR TWO IN A SHELTERED SPOT, owing TO THE MORE SOUTHERN LATITUDE, THE EVERLASTING NORTHERN PINE MET THE TREES OF OTHER CLIMATES. THERE WERE DWARF OAKS, WILLOWS, HAZEL, AND SPRUCE. THE WHITE CEDAR AND THE TRAILING JUNIPER JOSTLES EACH OTHER FOR A PRECARIOUS FOOTHOLD. THE MAJESTIC REDWOOD TREE OF THE PACIFIC MET THE EXQUISITE BALSAM PINE OF THE ATLANTIC SLOPES and among them all the pale gold foliage of the large aspen trembled, as the legend goes, in endless remorse. And above them towered the toothy peaks of the glittering mountains, rising in pure white against the sunny blue. Grand, glorious, sublime, but not lovable. I would give all for the luxurious redundance of one Hilo Gulch, OR FOR ONE DAY OF THOSE SOFT, DREAMY, SKIES WHOSE VERY TEARS ARE BALM. BERGENS PARK UP EVER! THE ROAD BEING BLASTED OUT OF THE RED ROCK, WHICH OFTEN OVERHUNG IT, THE CANYON ONLY FROM FIFTEEN TO TWENTY FEET WIDE, THE THUNDER OF THE FOUNTAIN, WHICH IS CROSSED EIGHT TIMES, NEARLY DEAFENING. SOMETIMES THE SUN STRUCK THE ROAD, AND THEN IT WAS ABSOLUTELY HOT, then one entered unsunned gorges where the snow lay deep, and the crowded pines made dark twilight, and the river roared under ice bridges fringed with icicles. At last, the pass opened out upon a sunlit upland park, where there was a forge, and with Bertie's shoe put on and some shoe nails in my purse, I rode on cheerfully, getting food for us both at a ranch belonging to some very pleasant people who, like all western folk, when they are not taciturn, asked a legion of questions. There I met a Colonel Kittredge, who said that he believed his valley, twelve miles off the track, to be the loveliest valley in Colorado, and invited me to his house. Leaving the road, I went up a long ascent deep in snow, but as it did not seem to be the way, I tied up the pony, and walked on to a cabin at some distance. WHICH I HAD HARDLY REACHED WHEN I FOUND HER TROTTING LIKE A DOG BY MY SIDE, PULLING MY SLEEVE AND LAYING HER SOFT GRAY NOSE ON MY SHOULDER. DOES IT ALL MEAN SUGAR? WE HAD EIGHT MILES FARTHER TO GO, MOST OF THE WAY THROUGH A FOREST, WHICH I ALWAYS DISLIKE WHEN ALONE, FROM THE FEAR OF BEING FRIGHTENED BY SOMETHING WHICH MAY APPEAR FROM BEHIND A TREE. I SAW A BEAUTIFUL WHITE FOX. Several skunks, some chipmunks and gray squirrels, owls, crows, and crested blue jays. As the sun was getting low, I reached Bergen's Park, which was to put me out of conceit with Estes Park. Never, it is long and featureless, and its immediate surroundings are mean. It reminded me in itself of some dismal Highland strath, Glenshee, possibly. I looked at it with special interest as it was the place at which Miss Kingsley had suggested that I might remain. The evening was glorious, and the distant views were very fine. A stream, fringed with cottonwood, runs through the park. Low ranges come down upon it. The south end is completely closed up, but at a considerable distance, by the great mass of Pike's Peak, while far beyond the other end are peaks and towers, wonderful in blue and violet in the lovely evening. And beyond these, sharply defined against the clear green sky, was the serrated ridge of the snowy range said to be two hundred miles away. Bergen's Park had been bought by Dr. Bell of London, but its present occupant is Mr. Thornton, an English gentleman who has a worthy married Englishman as his manager. "'Mr. Thornton is building a good house, and proposes to build other cabins, with the intention of making the park a resort for strangers. I thought of the blue hollow lying solitary at the foot of Long's Peak, and rejoiced that I had happened on to it. "'The cabin is long, low, mud-roofed, and very dark. The middle place is full of raw meat, fowls, and gear.' One end, almost dark, contains the cooking-stove, milk, crockery, a long deal table, two benches, and some wooden stools. The other end houses the English manager, or partner, his wife and three children, another cooking-stove, gear of all kinds, and sacks of beans and flowers. They put up a sheet for a partition, and made me a shake-down on the gravel floor of this room. TEN HIRED MEN SAT DOWN TO MEALS WITH US. IT WAS ALL VERY ROUGH, DARK, AND COMFORTLESS. BUT MR. T, WHO IS NOT ONLY A GENTLEMAN BY BIRTH, BUT AN M. A. OF CAMBRIDGE, SEEMS TO LIKE IT. MUCH IN THIS WAY, A LITTLE SMOOTHER IF A LADY IS IN THE CASE, EVERY MAN MUST BEGIN LIFE HERE. SEVEN LARGE DOGS, THREE OF THEM WITH CATS UPON THEIR BACKS, ARE USUALLY WARMING THEMSELVES BY THE FIRE. TWIN ROCK SOUTH FORK OF THE PLATTE, NOVEMBER 1st. I did not leave Mr. Thornton's till ten, because of the slipperiness. I rode four miles along a back trail, and then was so tired that I stayed for two hours at a ranch, where I heard, to my dismay, that I must ride twenty-four miles farther before I could find any place to sleep at. I did not enjoy yesterday's ride. I was both tired and rheumatic and Bertie was not so sprightly as usual. After starting again, I came on a hideous place, of which I had not heard before—Hayden's Divide, one of the great backbones of the region. A weary expanse of deep snow, eleven miles across, and fearfully lonely. I saw nothing the whole way, but a mule, lately dead, lying by the road. I was very nervous somehow, and towards evening believed that i had lost the road for i came upon wild pine forest with huge masses of rock from 100 to 700 feet high cast here and there among them beyond these pine-sprinkled grass hills these in their turn were bounded by interminable ranges ghastly in the lurid evening with the spanish peaks quite clear and the colossal summit of mount lincoln the king of the rocky mountains distinctly visible, though seventy miles away. It seemed awful to be alone on that ghastly ridge, surrounded by interminable mountains, in the deep snow, knowing that a party of thirty had been lost here a month ago. Just at nightfall, the descent of a steep hill took me out of the forest and upon a clean log cabin, where, finding that the proper halting-place was two miles farther on, I remained, A truly pleasing, superior-looking woman placed me in a rocking-chair. Would not let me help her otherwise than by rocking the cradle, and made me feel at home. The room, though it serves them and their two children for kitchen, parlor, and bedroom, is the pattern of brightness, cleanliness, and comfort. At supper there were canned raspberries, rolls, butter, tea, venison, and fried rabbit, and at seven I went to bed in a carpeted log-room, with a thick feather-bed on a mattress, sheets, ruffled pillow-slips, and a pile of warm, white blankets. I slept for eleven hours. They discouraged me much about the route which Governor Hunt had projected for me. They think that it is impassable, owing to the snow, and that another storm is brewing. Hall's Gulch, November 6th I have ridden a hundred fifty miles since I wrote last. On leaving Twin Rock on Saturday, I had a short day's ride to Colonel Kittredge's cabin at Oil Creek, where I spent a quiet Sunday with agreeable people. The ride was all through parks and gorges, and among pine-clothed hills about nine thousand feet high, with Pike's Peak always in sight." I have developed much sagacity in finding a trail, or I should not be able to make use of such directions as these. Keep along a gulch four or five miles till you get Pike's Peak on your left, then follow some wheel-marks till you get to some timber, and keep to the north till you come to a creek, where you'll find a great many elk tracks, then go to your right and cross the creek three times, then you'll see a red rock to your left, etc., etc., The Kay's cabin was very small and lonely, and the life seemed a hard grind for an educated and refined woman. There were snow flurries after I arrived, but the first Sunday of November was as bright and warm as June, and the atmosphere had resumed its exquisite purity. Three peaks of Pikes Peak are seen from Oil Creek, above the nearer hills, and by them they tell the time, We had been in the evening shadows for half an hour, before those peaks ceased to be transparent gold. On leaving Colonel Kittridge's hospitable cabin, I dismounted, as I had often done before, to lower a bar, and on looking round, Bertie was gone. I spent an hour in trying to catch her, but she had taken an ugly fit, and would not let me go near her, and I was getting tired and vexed. "'when two passing trappers on mules circumvented and caught her. "'I rode the twelve miles back to Twin Rock, and then went on, "'a kindly teamster who was going in the same direction taking my pack. "'I must explain that every mile I have travelled since leaving Colorado Springs "'has taken me farther and higher into the mountains. "'That afternoon I rode through lawn-like upland parks, "'with a great snow-mass of Pike's Peak behind.' and in front mountains bathed in rich atmospheric colouring of blue and violet—all very fine, but threatening to become monotonous—when the wagon-road turned abruptly to the left, and crossed a broad, swift mountain-river, the headwaters of the Platte. There I found the ranch to which I had been recommended, the quarters of a great hunter named Link, which much resembled a good country inn. There was a pleasant, friendly woman— but the men were all away, a thing I always regret, as it gives me half an hour's work at the horse before I can write to you. I had hardly come in, when a very pleasant German lady, whom I met at Manitou, with three gentlemen, arrived, and we were as sociable as people could be. We had a splendid, though rude, supper. While Mrs. Link was serving us, and urging her good things upon us, she was orating on the greediness of English people, "'saying that you would think they travelled through the country "'only to gratify their palates, "'and addressed me, asking me if I had not observed it. "'I am nearly always taken for a Dane or a Swede, "'never for an Englishwoman, "'so I often hear a good deal of outspoken criticism. "'In the evening Mr. Link returned, "'and there was a most vehement discussion "'between him an old Hunter, a miner, "'and the teamster who brought my pack.' as to the route by which I should ride through the mountains for the next three or four days, because at that point I was to leave the wagon-road, and it was renewed with increased violence the next morning, so that if my nerves had not been of steel I should have been appalled. The old hunter acrimoniously said he must speak the truth. The miner was directing me over a track where for twenty-five miles there was not a house— AND WHERE, IF SNOW CAME ON, I SHOULD NEVER BE HEARD OF AGAIN. THE MINER SAID HE MUST SPEAK THE TRUTH. THE HUNTER WAS DIRECTING ME OVER A PASS WHERE THERE WERE FIVE FEET OF SNOW, AND NO TRAIL. THE TEAMSTER SAID THAT THE ONLY ROAD POSSIBLE FOR A HORSE WAS SO-AND-SO, AND and ADVISED ME TO TAKE THE WAGON-ROAD INTO SOUTH PARK, WHICH I WAS DETERMINED NOT TO DO. Mr. Link said he was the oldest hunter and settler in the district, and he could not cross any of the trails in snow, and so they went on. At last they partially agreed on a route. The worst road in the Rocky Mountains, the old hunter said, with two feet of snow upon it, but a hunter had hauled an elk over part of it, at any rate. The upshot of the whole, you shall have in my next letter." I.L.B. End of letter ten.